0: How are you guys doing tonight? Wow, man, I'm excited to be here with all of you, especially as we get to enjoy the book of Acts, and this time we get to enjoy it outside in God's creation. So this is a sweet time. I know I'm enjoying it already, just the nice weather. But before we actually get into the Word, just a couple of announcements that I wanted to go with you guys first. Um one of the announcements is we have e-bulletins. So if you guys have not already signed up for those, would you please sign up for those online? Um, you can ask um, Barbara or or Marcus or, or anyone else, I think, and they can tell you how to sign up for those, but you can sign up for them online. And then the other thing is we are going to be having our services outside like this. Uh, and for as far as we know of right now. So stay uh, informed. We'll keep you guys notified on that. But for now, all the services will be outside. And so we get to enjoy this nice summer weather. And so we get to thank the Lord for that, that we live in this place where we get to enjoy this kind of weather. So if you guys have your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 12 and 13 as we continue our study through the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, but I was so excited to be going through the book of Acts. It's one of those very exciting books as we see the Holy Spirit moving through the early church, knowing that that same spirit that moved through the early church is the same spirit that works in the church today. And the very things that he did then or that the Holy Spirit did then is the very same things that he can do today and that we see that is happening today. God is still transforming hearts. People are being turned and shaped by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. And so I am excited to continue as we go through The book of Acts. And we're going to be in a a few different sections tonight, but we will be in chapters 12 and 13. So before we get into it, let's get into another word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come here. Lord, even now, Lord, being able to seek you in your word, God. What an amazing thing it is, Lord. Lord, even just reading through the book of Acts and seeing the persecution that they endured, Lord, and how grateful we are, Lord, that we do not come under the same persecution right now, God. But Lord, that we can freely open your word together right now. We can hear from you. So Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that we would hear your word, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, Lord. And Lord, that we, Lord, would be that church on fire, God, as it was in Acts. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's read Acts chapter 12, and we'll, we'll go verses 1 through 4 right now. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. You see, we come to the portion of Acts with a new development in the early church. King Herod had started his attacks against the church, the persecution of the church, Now, persecution was no new thing to this early church. They had already seen persecution. They had already been going through persecution. We saw this with Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible recorded. We saw Stephen be martyred just a few chapters ago, and many more martyrs came and followed suit after Stephen as persecution arose against this early church. But the new development is what we see here in verse 2. It says, speaking of Herod, then he killed James, the brother of John. You see, of the 12 disciples, of the original 12, James was the first to be martyred here. The death of James shattered any illusion that there was, that somehow these 12 disciples enjoyed a a sort of divine protection. You see, especially James. He was one of the three that were intimate with Jesus. One of the three that was always mentioned. It was always Peter, James, and John. And now here, John—or sorry, James—was put to death by the sword. You see, Jesus had made it clear in Matthew chapter ten that they would be persecuted. That these disciples, they were not going to be protected from this persecution, but that they were going to be going through this very persecution as the church went through. And now this is becoming a reality to this early church, as James is the first disciple martyred. But it doesn't end there. If you continue on in verses 3 and 4, it says... And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. As this pleased the Jews, as Herod saw that the Jews liked this, that it gained him favor, that it gained him popularity before the Jews, he proceeded to go further. He captures Peter, and he puts him with four squads of soldiers. You see, one soldier was the usual, what they would put them with. They would shackle him to one soldier, and that would do the job. That would do the trick. But you see, Herod, seeing how elusive, you could say, these disciples were, He puts them in a squad of four, two to be shackled to, two to wait outside the cell to keep watch. Now, you might be asking the question, why didn't he just kill him here? Why didn't he just kill Peter with a sword like he did with James? It would have been easy. It would have tackled the situation right here. But the text gives us evidence that it was Passover. And so it says here in verse 4, so when he had arrested him, put him in prison, delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people of after Passover. You see Herod seeking the popularity of the Jews. He didn't want to lose favor immediately by putting someone to death on Passover, but instead he wanted the full attention of this Jewish community by killing Peter, yeah, killing Peter, after passover when he would have the full attention of the jews where he could be seen as the one that is squashing this christianity on the rise that is threatening the jews but look what happens in verse 5 it says peter was therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to god for him by the church you see they may have had soldiers But the church had prayer. The text reads constant prayer in verse 5. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. This constant prayer can also be read as earnest prayer earnest prayer was offered to God. Earnest speaking of a a stretching of the muscles. When it speaks of, of earnest prayer, it's talking about the stretching of the muscles to the very limit. Think a marathon runner coming to the final stretch of the race. They give everything they have. They don't reserve a little bit left for after the race. No, they give everything they have when a marathon runner is running to the final stretch. This is what earnest prayer, this is what the church was offering up to God for Peter. Earnest prayer. It is the same word that is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the agonizing in prayer where he sweated drops of blood. The same prayer, the same kind of prayer, the earnest prayer, praying fervently for Peter. You see, this kind of intense prayer, too often we pray, but not earnestly. As if to pray with an attitude of wanting God to care about the very things that we really do not care too much about. That is how often sometimes we pray. We pray as if there, there's there's nothing in it. We don't really care too much about it. You see, the earnest prayer shows our hearts care passionately about the things that God cares about. When we pray earnestly for something, we pray because we passionately want to see God intervene. The church, we as the church, we need more earnest prayer. You see, this was the prayer that was offered to God for him, for Peter, by the church. And it reminds me of a quote that has very much convicted my heart by Pastor Chuck Smith. He said, prayer is by far the greatest outlet of spiritual power that we have. One of the mysteries of heaven will be why we did not pray more when God has given to us such a valuable tool for prayer. You see, I would even add on to this and say why we did not pray more earnestly when God has given us such a valuable tool for power. You see, God hears the prayers of His people. And so we ought to pray as though God is going to answer. We ought to be praying earnestly, but too often we pray as though God is not going to answer, as though he doesn't hear our prayers. Let us be the people that pray passionately, that pray as this church did in Acts, because look what happens. Look what happened when this church prayed earnestly. It continues on in verse 6, and it said, and when Herod was brought to, was about to bring him out, That night, Peter was sleeping and bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put your garment, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they, went, when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate, and that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. You see, Peter, the night before his own execution, didn't show any signs of anxiety. Instead, he sleeps. He said he, he sleeps bound with two chains between two soldiers. No sign of anxiety whatsoever. But he is awakened by an angel and is taken out of the chains, past the guards, through the gate of the prison, and he is freed. You see, one thing I would like to point out in, in all of that, and what we see through this, is Peter obeyed without even knowing what was happening. It even records for us, he thought he was seeing a vision. Has no idea really what is happening, but he obeys. You see, we read this text, and questions can come into our minds. Often. I even think about in this text alone, why was Peter rescued and not James? James was executed. Why didn't God rescue James also? He very much could have. You see, the reason God does things or does not do them are known only to God. But like Peter, God is not calling you to understand all the time. He is calling you to trust Him. There are going to be many times where we don't understand what is happening. We don't know what is going on. We can't explain it according to our own logic why this thing is going on. But we trust that God has a plan through it all, that God is in control, that God is the one that sits on the throne, that his ways are higher than our ways. I think if I was in the same position as Peter, I would be questioning everything. I can even see myself here. i don't want the whole plan. Okay, what's gonna happen after I get past the guard post? What happens if this guard sees me? What happens if it wakes up? How do I get past this guard door that is happening? I'd be wanting every single question to figure out the plan before I would decide, okay, I will follow you, angel, and go and free myself right now. But that is not what Peter does. Peter trusts and he goes. No questions. No plan of action. The Lord led him, and he went forward. You see, we we do this all the time, even in our own lives. We try to question everything. God is calling us somewhere, and we want to know the whole plan before we will decide to take it. When in reality, God wants us to trust him. To put our faith in him and watch him move. Because that is exactly what happens with Peter. Peter trusts God and Peter is freed, finds himself outside of the prison, coming to himself and praising God and saying, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and the Jewish expectations. And so after this happens, the story continues in verse 12. It says, so when he had considered this, He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. You see, Peter He goes to the very place where he knows that the people of the church are praying for him. He goes and and knocks on the door of this gate where the people are gathered praying earnestly for him. And I love the realism of the account here, the realism that that Luke records for us in in Acts right here. He goes to the gate, he knocks on the door, uh, uh, most likely a younger woman named Rhoda, she comes, and she is so excited, and I can picture this. Just picture this with me for a second. She gets so excited that Peter is there. She just only, it says she only hears his voice, and she is so excited, and I can just imagine so many people, maybe even myself, doing this, like, Peter's here, oh my gosh, the guy that we are praying for, he's here with us. He, he came, God answered our prayer, and she's so excited, she forgets he's there, and he, she runs to the people praying. Well, then she comes to the people praying, and the very person that they are praying for They're like, oh no, he's not there. Oh Rhoda, you always do this, always thinking this. No, he's not there, he can't be there. Just imagine this. No one even believes her until they see it for themselves that Peter is at the door. You see this church, these gathering of believers, yes, their prayer was earnest, but their faith, underwhelming. You see, but little faith can accomplish great things if placed in a great God. As we see with Peter being freed, yes, they might not have had the greatest of faith, even seeing by their astonishment of seeing Peter, but they prayed earnestly, and God answered the prayers, and he freed Peter. And Peter comes to them, and he joins with them again, and he tells them, or he tells them to tell James, the brother of Jesus, what had happened, and then he departs to go and and continue the mission that God is calling him to. You see, we can read of this earnest prayer and the, the miracle which ensues after it, we may read through story several times. I'm sure many of you out here have read this story over and over and over again. You've all had the same laughs when you look at Rhoda and the believers in the church. You guys have all heard this story. And we can often think, even seeing this story, we can often think, wow, that is so amazing how God and the Holy Spirit worked through the early church or we can see this story and we almost read it like it's some sort of mythology, like it's some sort of imaginary story. Instead of looking into the word, to the very word that we see here and realizing the reality of this word, that God works in this way and God still works in this way. You see, this very thing is something that can happen in the church today. And it is something that does happen in the church today. God is continuing to move. God is continuing to do miraculous things. He is changing people's hearts from darkness into light. You want to see a modern day example of this? Pick up any missionary biography, read of it, and you will see God working in this same way through people today. God is moving, He is working. And as we see with that story continued, Pastor Brad covered on Sunday. The King Herod, he's struck with worms. The, the, the story now cuts to King Herod, and he comes out in his glorious apparel, and he is struck dead as he takes the glory from himself for, for himself from God. And so we skip into this next scene, which is chapter 13. But before we enter chapter 13, something I just want to speak to us all about first. You see, Acts is all about missions. It's all about spreading the gospel, the fulfilling, the great commission spoken to us in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see the very introduction that we see in chapter 1, the very commission that is given to this early church is the very one that we see laid out for us through the book of Acts. You see, if you were to see a chapter breakdown of Acts, you would see that chapters 2 through 7 is the gospel going forth in Jerusalem. If you were to look at chapters 8 through 12, you would see the gospel going forth in Judea and Samaria. And if you were to see chapters thirteen through twenty eight the end of chapter of Acts, you would see the Gospel going forth through the ends of the earth. The very thing that Jesus had commanded his disciples is the very thing that we see laid out for us in Acts, and we see it through the church being formed and the gospel spreading in Jerusalem. We see it in the Gospel taken to Samaria by Philip in chapter eight taken to a Gentile household by Peter in chapter 10, and it's all coming together in the founding of the church of Antioch. And this very church, where they are first called Christians in chapter 11, is also the first church to send out the first missionaries to reach the rest of the world, to fulfill Jesus' command, to preach the gospel to every creature. And that is where we pick up in chapter 13. The shift to reaching the rest of the world. You see, actually, let's before we get into that, let's read verses one through three. It says in Acts chapter 13, one, it says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, And Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You see, the church of Antioch was a church filled with the Holy Spirit. You can even see by the leadership of this church, Barnabas and Saul and and Simeon and all these guys who are talked about in the Bible as being men full of the Holy Spirit. You see, they knew the meaning of Acts 1.8 when it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They saw it. They saw it working through their lives. They saw it working in this church of Antioch. You see, the key to any church reaching the world is a spirit filled church. A church in which the people walk in consistent obedience to the will of God in the word of God. Barnabas and the others, as mentioned here, they ministered to their congregation and the congregation ministered to each other. And as we see here in verse two, read it with me again, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. Stop there real quick. Just want to Bring this out. As they ministered to the Lord, they worshiped God. They learned his word. They walked in the power of his spirit and they were ready to reach the world at his command. This church was a church filled with the spirit because they were a church that reverenced God, that loved God, that worshiped God, that were people of the word. And they were a church that prayed As it says, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They sought the Lord and they fasted. Not just forgetting to eat a meal or trying to lose weight on a diet that doesn't count as this kind of fasting that it is talking about here. This is talking about the kind of fasting, speaking of passionately consumed with the things of God, with the cause that is on your heart that you lose the desire to eat, that you put away the desire to eat in this time as you seek the things of God, as you are consumed with the things of God. This church saw God as more important than food. not saying they did this all the time. I'm pretty sure after 30 days or 40 days, I'm not sure which one it is, that that wouldn't work so well but they were a church that sought God, that prayed to God, that were about the things of God. And you see, as they ministered to the Lord and as they sought the Lord, God answered their prayers. Look at verse two, the rest of verse two. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see, the church that is often burdened for the lost, causing them to pray for the lost, will often be the ones, reached, the ones used to reach the lost. I remember even in my own life, I remember when, when, when I felt this, this call for missions, even in my own life, I had been praying and seeking the Lord and I love reading through the word of God. I love praying. I love seeking the things of God. And I remember specifically on one occasion, now, now previously I had thought about missions, but it had always been short-term missions. I'll, I'll go for a week. I'll go for two weeks. Long-term, no way. I'm out. I, I, I can't do it. I, I wanna come home. But that was the thing. I remember one day specifically, sitting in my living room, I was praying and seeking the Lord, reading his word. And I remember as I started reading the word, this burden came upon me, and an increasing burden. The The more that I read and the more that I prayed, the more that I couldn't help but feel this burden for the lost, for those that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this burden was getting so much within me this certain day, that it, that it even caused me to start weeping as I thought about the lost, how, pe- how they have never heard the gospel. And I remember after having this experience and knowing as I prayed, Lord, send people to reach them. Lord, send people to, to, to share with them the good news of Christ, that they may experience the joy that there is in Christ, that they may know where they are going for eternity. And as I prayed that, I felt the Spirit continually speak into my own heart. I'm sending you to go. I'm sending you to go and, and share the gospel with them. And I remember after that, I, I went up to, to Pastor Brent's office and, and I shared with him. I was like, I, I want to go to the mission field. I want to go. And thank God that our, our church uh, and with their missions program and everything that they do, they followed after exactly what happens here in Acts 13. And they commissioned me and Dane to go to the mission field. You see, we're not the only ones with that. I went and served in Nepal for about a year, but there are so many more missionaries that this church has sent out. So many more missionaries that are going and preaching the gospel of Christ. And it's not because any of us are any special, but we see this word. We see that we pray and the burden for the lost is real. You see, the outcome of spirit-filled life is a spirit-filled burden for the lost. You read the word, you seek the Lord, you are going to have a burden for those that do not know him. To reach those who have never heard, to be those that go, to be those that send, to be those that pray for those who do not know Christ and those that are currently trying to go reach them for Christ. You see, just as this church of Antioch, we need to be the church that reaches this world. And that happens by being the church that prays, as we see with this early church. You see, we have a missions program. We have sent out many missionaries We teach the word of God faithfully here, but it comes down to each and every one of us. Everyone listening right now, everyone reading this passage, each of us need to be the ones on our knees, need to be the ones that are reaching the lost by praying to the God who can reach them. And when the Lord calls us to go, we need to be the ones that are faithful to go. When the Lord calls us to send, we need to be the ones that send. But all of us, we are all called to pray for, to be involved in reaching the lost. It reminds me of what missionary James Frazier said. He said, solid, lasting missionary work is done on our knees. Just as with this early church, we need to be the church that prays. And so the Holy Spirit called, they fasted, and they prayed, they laid hands, and they sent them out. And as you see that in verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You see verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Just real quick, in, in, in all reality right here, it wasn't the church or the organization that sent them out. It was the Holy Spirit that sent them out. The Holy Spirit was the one that was calling them and sending them. And so the missionary journey begins. Look at verse four. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. You see, they went preaching the gospel, starting with the synagogues of the Jews. And you see the pl- area that they went to go preach the gospel to, this area of Cyprus. This city was on the west coast of Cyprus and was known for its immorality. Even as Barnabas and Paul preach the gospel there, they come across the spiritual darkness of a sorcerer named Bar Jesus or Son of Jesus, which is very ironic. Or as Luke notes, his name is Elimus. You see, as it says here in verse six, we'll continue on, it says, now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a, source, a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, his name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for some time. You see, Elymas was a sorcerer who was a sort of advisor to the proconsul. And as the word notes right here, the proconsul was an important man. If you can imagine with me, a proconsul was a Roman, or a Roman proconsul was was responsible for an entire province, an entire region he had charge over, and he answered only to the Roman Senate. And so this man had lots of power. He was a very important man. And so this man, he, he calls for Barnabas and Saul to come preach the word of God to him, to, to come so he may hear this word. But with this proconsul calling Barnabas and, and Paul, as we see with great opportunity for the gospel, there is always opposition. We see in verse 8 through 12 that Elymas the sorcerer tried to withstand them. He, he, he opposed them, trying to sway the proconsul from listening to what Barnabas and Saul had to say. But Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, rebukes Elymas, and this miracle happens that Elymas's own spiritual blindness becomes a physical blindness upon him, and he has to be led away by the hand. And as this unfold unfolds, it says in verse 11, and immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then, verse 12, the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. One thing to note right here. I love how it says, it was not the miracle that caused the proconsul to be astonished. It was the teaching of the Lord. The teaching of the gospel is what astonished the proconsul. As Elimus was blinded physically, the proconsul was finally able to see spiritually. The gospel is what changed this man's life. It wasn't the miracle that Paul had done. The miracle attested to what the gospel being preached. And it was because of this gospel, this man's life is changed. We can look at the book of Acts to see miracles done. But the true miracle is not in the doings, but in the gospel transforming the hearts of people blinded to spiritual truth. The same gospel that makes the blind see here is the same gospel that can change the world around us, that can turn the darkness that we see into light. Just as it changed this man of power in the book of Acts, it can change the hearts of anyone. The power is in Christ. Through the gospel, people's hearts can be changed. We can see this world turned upside down or rather right side up just like it happened in the book of Acts. And so with that, the missionary journey continues. Paul and those with him set sail to Antioch, but not the Antioch that we started with, an Antioch of Pisidia. And there they continue the preaching of the gospel. We're actually going to skip down to verse 45 of chapter 13. But just to recap what is happening, they continue to preach the gospel, and after teaching the the gospel to the Jews, the Gentiles then beg Paul and Barnabas to bring them the word, to teach them the word of God. And so on the next Sabbath day, we see... In verse 44, just going back one verse, it says, On the next Sabbath day, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. In verse 45, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. You see, as Paul and Barnabas, as they continue to preach the gospel, as they sail onto their next journey, and they come to Antioch of Pisidia, they continue preaching the gospel. They continue going to the synagogues first, preaching to the Jews the gospel. And as they come here, as they as they come to preach, the Gentiles now beg them, "Please preach us this gospel. Please share this gospel with us." And so they organized, okay, next Sabbath day, next week, we will come and share the word of God with you. And so the whole city gathers to hear the word of God. But then with all the popularity that is coming from this, with the whole city gathered to hear the news of Jesus Christ, it caused an envy within the hearts of the Jews, something inevitable for those concerned more with being popular than with serving God. Paul's preaching becomes more of a debate. The ugliness of envy. Here it is, a great work of God. God is setting it all up. The whole city is coming to hear the word of God. God is completely ordaining this. And then, all of a sudden, when it's about to happen, the Jews, being filled with envy and jealousy, they start speaking against the words of Paul. They begin contradicting him, blaspheming him, distracting and destroying the very witness they were about to give to this whole city. But it's not over. You see, They oppose the things spoken of Paul because it went against the way they perceived how things should be. You see, even in the world around us, people reject Jesus because he doesn't fit into their mold. He doesn't go along with the way that they want to live, and so they reject Jesus. He doesn't fit their lifestyle so they oppose him. And these very people that oppose him with the way that they live, they don't do it straight out. You see all the time with the world around us, people still claiming to be Christians, but then they say, oh, I reject this form of Jesus. Oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. That's not the Jesus that I serve. Well, in fact, they are not serving Jesus at all because their lives disprove it themselves. And you see, this is what was happening with the Jews. This Jesus, they didn't want to serve because they were in a place of prominence. They were Jews. Oh, this gospel was meant only for the Jews, but now it became available to the Gentiles. They didn't want this middle wall of separation broken down. And so they started opposing Paul. They started opposing the things spoken of by Paul. They opposed Jesus. They rejected Jesus. Because it wasn't how they wanted it. But see, it talks of here, Paul and Barnabas were zealous for the things of God. L- look at verse 13. Sorry, not verse 13. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. And said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for the, so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for the salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas, zealous for the truth of God, they wouldn't let this challenge go unanswered. And so, By the Jews rejecting Jesus, they have proved themselves unworthy, Paul says. And now Paul says, I will preach to the Gentiles, fulfilling the very word that the the word of God's salvation is going to go to the ends of the earth. And so Paul turns to the Gentiles, and it says here in verse 48... It says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. You see, the Jews rejected. And you see, Paul ministered the gospel to those whose hearts were open to receive. He says to these Jews, you guys don't want to receive Jesus? You, you want to reject Jesus? then I will bring it to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles who had been begging them to come, they not only receive it, it says they receive it with joy and and glorified the word of God. But the story continues. Looking at what happens in verse 49, it says, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent woman and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. You see, where there is revival, where there is great opportunity for the gospel, there will always be met with adversity. It will always be met with opposition as the enemy hates what is going on. And so The word of God goes to the region. They're expelled from that region. And look what happens in verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They shook off the dust of their sandals. They they gave it over to God. And they continued their missionary journey to Iconium. And it doesn't just say they continued their missionary journey, but 52 makes it clear. These disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? They were rejected. How are they filled with joy? the joy contradicted their own circumstances but you know why they were filled with joy is because they knew that what was happening was not in their hands it is in God's plans and purposes and they trusted God they were filled with the holy spirit and so they continued on with joy and if there is one theme that we see throughout these three different passages we have looked over it is that there aren't always going to we aren't always going to understand God's plan or the way that he does things, but we must trust him. In every instance that we've seen so far, there has been opposition. With Peter, there was the opposition of Herod. With Paul, there was the opposition of Elisam the sorcerer. And with Paul again here, there was opposition of the Jews. With every opportunity, there is opposition, but that is where it makes it clear, we must trust in God in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter what is happening, no matter if we do not understand it, we must trust God. You see, Peter could have been filled with anxiety at his his approaching execution. Paul could have given up due to opposition with the sorcerer refuting him. And Paul could have been discouraged with rejection from the Jews because it wasn't going according to his plan. Maybe how he had imagined it, how things have been set up. It didn't go according to his plan. But you see, they trusted God that he was going to work according to his way. And through these three oppositions, look what happened. Peter was freed, the proconsul believed, and the Gentiles received grace. Grace. I don't know where you all are at. I don't know what you are going through. Maybe you are frustrated during this COVID time. There's so much uncertainty. Some days we can do this, some days we can't do this. Maybe there's frustration going on. Maybe you're unsure of the future. You don't know what is going to happen. Maybe this COVID time has has ruined your plans. That's ruined the things that you are looking forward to. Maybe during this time, you are experiencing some fear. Fearful of of not knowing what is going to happen. Not knowing about your health. Not knowing about the health of your family. You have no idea what is going on. But there is one thing that we can be certain of. And if there is anything that we get from these three passages, it is this very thing. Even when we do not know what is happening, we can be certain That God's plans always know what is happening. God's ways are always going to come to pass. We can rest assured on God that his ways are higher than our ways. And nothing that happens in this world is going to thwart God's plans. God is the one that is on the throne. Trust him. Through opposition, through uncertainty, look to him, the one who never changes, and the one who is going to carry us all the way through. When you don't know what is happening, don't try to figure it out on your own. Look to Christ. Look to his ways. And as we have seen through all those stories, God moves in miraculous ways. And God's plans are going to come about. Trust in the one who is still on the throne. Let's pray.